See, what we seek, what we give our heart to, what we give our attention to, what we give our devotion to, if we let anything replace the first and foundational place of the Lord in our heart, it's become something that we are seeking instead of Him. And the Lord is convicting us of that. Thank you, Dan. As we prepare to hear the word of the Lord upstairs, if anyone is part of Sunday school, uh, you can make your way downstairs at this point. I see those folks doing that. Uh, any wow, what is that? That's supposed to happen at the end of the sermon, not the beginning. Hopefully you're not asleep yet. But let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for giving us this time together today. We want to thank you for the blessing of being able to worship you, even as Dan just reminded us. It is, it is an incredible joy and privilege and blessing to be able to lift up your name and to sing praises to you. We do thank you as well for the incredible power when we take that bread and when we take that cup and when we declare, Jesus, your death until you come again. And thank you, Jesus, for everything that your death and your resurrection have accomplished for us. We have new life in you. We were dead, but now we are alive. And we thank you for that, Lord God. We thank you for the incredible blessing of your word. You have preserved it for us. And Lord, you speak to us through the pages of Scripture. And I just want to pray right now for everyone who is making their way down to Sunday school classes. Pray that you would be speaking and moving powerfully in each one of those classes. Touching the lives not only of the youth and children that are involved, but touching the lives of the teachers and helpers as well. And for those of us who are up here, Jesus, we just want to sit at your feet and we want to allow you to teach us. We have one teacher, Jesus, and that is you. And so we ask now that through your word and through your Holy Spirit, you would open our ears to hear your voice, that you would open our hearts to receive your message to us. We love you. And we are just so incredibly amazed that it is your desire to speak to us, to make yourself known to us. And so we pray right now, Lord, in this time that we have together, that we will be receptive to what you want to do. And Jesus, it is in your name and your name alone that we pray these things. Amen. 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 Well, good to see you all here this morning and good to be together. Many of you know that over the last month and a half or so, we have been reading through the books of First and Second Chronicles. And right now we are about halfway through the book of 2 Chronicles. If you're following along in the reading schedule, today I believe is 2 Chronicles chapter 20. What I want us to do is I want us to look at some isolated verses from some of the chapters that we were reading last week. Now generally speaking, I really don't prefer to preach this way. I much prefer to pick a passage and just 
preach from that passage, but it just kind of started with a verse about a week and a half ago or two weeks that really gripped my heart. And we'll start with that in a minute. And as I've been reading through the last eight to 10 chapters of, of Second Chronicles that have been in our, our reading schedule, there was just kind of a thread there that I felt like the Lord was really putting on my heart. And that's what I want to share with you today. But just by way of a little bit of context, remember, as Second Chronicles opens, Solomon is king. And Solomon's main endeavor as king was to build a house for the Lord. It was he, in fact, that constructed the temple. And a huge emphasis of the chronicler in recounting to us the reign of Solomon was the building of the temple. And the glory of the Lord filling the temple. And as we were reminded a few weeks ago, the presence of the Lord now living in the midst of his people. God not only desiring, but God actually doing what was necessary to be living in the midst of his people. But after the reign of Solomon, the kingdom of God is split and the people of God are divided. The majority of the tribes make up what was called the northern kingdom or sometimes known as the kingdom of Israel and Judah and Benjamin and part of the Levites and a couple other parts of other tribes made up what is known as the southern kingdom, oftentimes referred to as the kingdom of Judah. And Chronicles primarily follows the kings of the southern kingdom. And that is mostly because the promise of Messiah was going to come from the house and the line of David. So the kings and the happenings of the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, really are just kind of fading to the background in 2 Chronicles. The focus is much more on the southern kingdom and the kings of Judah. Because through that line, the Lord will fulfill his promise to have a son of David to sit on his throne forever and to rule over his people forever. And even though there's going to be times where that line is almost going to be extinguished and that line is going to go into captivity, God is always going to carefully guard and protect that line of David, of course, until his son Jesus Christ comes into the world. So what we see is that we are invited to consider the reigns, the character, the actions, the behaviors of the kings of Judah. So once Solomon dies and is buried, his son Rehoboam takes over. And the first passage of scripture that I want to read is an evaluation of Rehoboam from the end of his life. So in 2 Chronicles chapter 12, 2 Chronicles chapter 12, we're just going to read verse 14. And like I say, about a week and a half or two weeks ago when I was reading through this portion of 2 Chronicles, this verse really just stood out to me. So 2 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 14. This is an evaluation of Solomon's son, King Rehoboam. It says, he did evil because he did not determine in his heart to seek the Lord. He did evil because he did not determine in his heart 
to seek the Lord. Now, when I think of evil, I think of things like murder and violence and hatred and oppression. You know, these are the things that pop into my mind if you were to ask me to give some examples of evil. And so this verse really stood out to me because in this case, the Lord says that it is evil not to determine in your heart to seek him. And that, of course, to me, in my flesh, seems a little harsh. Really? I mean, Lord, I had a, a really busy day. I had a really busy week. I had a really distracted month. Really, it's, it's evil not to determine in my heart to seek you? And this is why this verse, I think, really kind of gave me pause. Not because it was a verse that was, you know, really light and encouraging and makes you just want to skip out the front door and face whatever's coming your way. This was a verse that really was kind of leveling me. The Lord's evaluation of Rehoboam, he was evil. Why? Because he did not determine in his heart to seek the Lord. And I love that introductory phrase. It wasn't just that he was evil because he didn't seek the Lord. He was evil because he did not determine in his heart to seek the Lord. So as I was considering this verse, one of the things that the Lord was reminding me of is that we have to make a determined decision whether or not we are going to seek the Lord. We have to make a determined decision. Am I going to seek the Lord or not? There's a lot of things that we do just kind of comfortably and naturally. You know, we take a shower, we get dressed, we brush our teeth, we have some food, we make our way to work or to school or whatever. There's a lot of things that we just kind of do where we wouldn't necessarily say, I have determined in my heart to take a shower. Well, maybe after a week of hiking or something like that, that's a good decision. But there's a lot of things we do that we do relatively casually, that we do somewhat, you know, without a lot of, of, of decision or thought on our part. But, you know, the evaluation of Rehoboam challenges us in a very different way to consider seeking the Lord. We have to determine in our hearts to seek the Lord. It requires a decision on our part. Now, there's an initial decision. When we were first introduced to the Lord, when his name was first shared with us, when we first encountered the incredible truth of Jesus Christ and who he is and what he has done, and at some point in our past for most of us, at that moment, we made a decision. We made a determined decision in our heart to seek him. But that's not enough. That's an incredible, glorious, powerful, necessary start. But not one of us can say, oh Lord, I made a decision 30 years ago to seek you. Isn't that good enough? 
I made a decision 20 years ago to seek you. I determined in my heart to seek you when I was in VBS, when I was in Sunday school, when I was, of course, that's wonderful. And praise God for those initial decisions that we made, that initial determination that we made to say, I am going to seek the Lord. But that by itself is not enough. The determination, the decision to seek the Lord is something that has to be constant. It has to be daily. Rehoboam was evil because he did not determine in his heart to seek the Lord. And we as the people of God, not just the first time, years ago, decades ago, wonderful, glorious that was, but we as the people of God have to regularly, constantly, even daily, make a determined decision in our hearts. I'm going to seek the Lord. I am going to seek the Lord. So if I just were to ask you, and I am going to ask you, but I'm not going to expect you to answer, do you seek the Lord? Do you seek the Lord? Now, I, I know that's an incredibly open-ended question, and we haven't even really started to unpack, well, what does it mean to seek the Lord? But if I just were to ask that question, which I just did, how would you answer that? How would you answer that question if I were to ask you, do you seek the Lord? Now, of course, part of your answer is going to reflect where you are at. If you're a super sort of optimistic, hope-filled person, you would say, yeah, I seek the Lord. If you're more of a, a pessimist, doubter, sort of introspective, I can never do enough, you might say, no, I really don't seek the Lord. So part of your answer is going to reflect who you are. But because this is such a, a repeated thread in Second Chronicles, I believe it's a question that the Lord wants each one of us to ask ourselves. Do I seek the Lord? Now let's just talk for a second. What does it mean to seek the Lord? Or, or even in a general sense, what does it mean to seek anything? You know, I think in a very literal sort of natural sense, we understand what it means to seek something. You know, a lot of us, when we were kids, we played the game hide and go seek. Well, everyone would hide and then there was one person who would go and seek for them, try to find them. That's a very natural sort of very literal way of understanding the word seek. But obviously, that's not quite the same thing when we talk about seeking the Lord or seeking many, many other kinds of things. What does it mean to seek something? Well, as I was considering this, some of what I feel like was my answer to that question is, what do you give yourself to? What do you give your heart to? Your attention, your devotion, your thought, your time, your energy. What do you give all of those things to? That is more than likely who or what you are seeking. The thing or the person that we are seeking is what we give our time and devotion and energy and attention and commitment to. That's what we seek. But there are some, to me, very closely connected ideas with seeking. And this is part of the thread that we're going to look at here in these chapters of Second Chronicles. In a large measure, what you seek is also what you trust in, what you rely on, what you depend on. 
And these are all going to be words that we're going to see the chronicler use in evaluating some of these kings of Judah. So whatever it is that we seek, it's what we give ourselves to. What occupies our thoughts and our heart and our time and our devotion and our attention. If you have absolutely no script as to what you are going to talk about, what do you talk about? That's probably a window into what you are seeking. When you're just hanging out and you can talk about anything, what do you talk about? When you have free time and you have nothing else to do and you are totally uncommitted in terms of the next hour or two hours or evening, what do you do? What do you pursue? That's probably also a reflection of what you are seeking, of what you are seeking. So hopefully for each of us, somewhere in our evaluation of what we are seeking, we are in fact seeking the Lord. Now, as we look at the kings of Judah from Chronicles, we see that they had rivals for their devotion. They had rivals for their attention. There were other things that they could seek. Now, what we're going to do, like I say, is we're not just going to spend our whole time in that single verse from 2 Chronicles 12, 14. That's sort of our anchor verse. He was evil because he did not determine in his heart to seek the Lord. That's Rehoboam. Well, we're going to look at his son Abijah and his grandson Asa and his great-grandson Jehoshaphat because those are the next kings that Chronicles tells us about. What does the Lord have to say about them? What did they seek? What did they put their trust in? What did they rely on? Because again, as I was reading these chapters of Chronicles, there just seemed to be that thread that was constantly working its way through these chapters. What were they seeking? What were they pursuing? What were they giving themselves to? What were they trusting? What were they relying on? And what was the result of that? What came as a result of what they determined in their hearts to do? So let's jump a little bit ahead. Let's look to Jehoshaphat. And let's go to 2 Chronicles chapter 17. 2 Chronicles chapter 17, verses 3 and 4. This is King Jehoshaphat. For the most part, evaluated as a good king, as a righteous king. And this is part of the summary of King Jehoshaphat's reign in 2 Chronicles 17, verses 3 and 4. It says, The Lord was with Jehoshaphat, because in his early years he walked in the ways of his father David, and he did not seek the Baals. So Jehoshaphat, what did he not seek? He did not seek the Baals. Picking it up in verse 4. But instead, he sought the God of his father and followed his commands rather than the practices of Israel. So for the kings of Judah, one of the rivals that they had for their devotion, for their attention, for their energy that they were putting into seeking is what is referred to here as the Baals. Now, Baal was a very, very broad and general term. 
that could describe a lot of different things. Sometimes a specific pagan god is being referred to. And so sometimes we see a reference to Baal as one of the pagan gods of the Canaanites at that time. You may recall the contest orchestrated by the Lord through the prophet Elijah, where he gathers all the false prophets of Baal and that have that incredible competition on Mount Carmel. And Elijah says, let's see whose God is God. In that case, Baal is being referred to in the singular. And in this case, Baal was a fertility god of the Canaanites who was regularly sought so that crops would be fruitful, so that families would have children, that there would be bounty and plenty. But sometimes the word Baal, often in the plural as used here, was a general term for a whole pantheon of false gods. The Baals could simply be a reference to any of the false gods that the nations around and unfortunately living in the midst of Israel were worshiping and serving. So as the kings of Judah were challenged to determine in their hearts to seek the Lord, one of the challenges they had was not to seek the Baals not to seek all of the false gods of the nations all around them. And as we see, that was a huge struggle. They were constantly having their hearts tempted and tugged at and pulled to worship the Baals, to worship the false gods of the nations around them. But what the chronicler tells us here is that Jehoshaphat did not seek the Baals. Instead, he sought the God of his father, Asa. Asa was the king that Ted made reference to last week in his sermon on war and peace. Jehoshaphat made a decision that he was going to seek the God of his father, Asa, and not to seek the Baals. So as we consider today some of the things that tug at our heart, some of the things that are demanding our attention or seeking our devotion or wanting us to seek them or it, probably most of us are not tempted by the Baals. Probably most of us are not tempted by a pagan Canaanite fertility god. I hope so. I hope that has been long since sacrificed and done with. But what are some of the bales that compete for our attention now? Well, as I think about this, you know, the term bale could have been incredibly broad and incredibly vast. And really, I think that is the list of things that compete for our attention that are explicitly sinful. Because worshiping the Baals, seeking the Baals was explicitly sinful. There are things that we pursue, there are things that we seek that are explicitly sinful. And they compete for the attention of our heart. You know, if we're looking to get even with someone, if we're looking for revenge, if we're looking to pay back someone who did wrong to us, we are seeking the Baals. 
if we are doing something out of selfishness, if we are doing things out of pride, if we are pursuing something because we want the spotlight to be on us, we are seeking the bales. If we are exposing ourselves to entertainment that is wholly ungodly and wholly impure, if we are exposing ourselves to things that Jesus Christ has absolutely nothing to do with and there's no redemptive purpose in it, we are seeking the bales. So let's just be honest. There are some things that we let our heart seek that are simply sinful. And we have to do everything we can to determine in our heart instead to seek the Lord. These, I think, are probably the easiest to identify. We just had a time of communion where we were encouraged and challenged to consider before we partook of the bread and the cup. I think probably most of us had a clear sense from the Lord, some of the sinful things that we have pursued, some of the sinful things that we have done. And praise God, when we repent of those things, we are forgiven. Hallelujah. You know, that song that we were singing, he is stronger. He is stronger. Sin is broken. Think of the nastiest, vilest, most wicked sin that you have committed. Jesus is stronger. And Jesus has crushed that. He has crushed that. So let's just be honest. There are a lot of bales in our culture. There are a lot of things, they're just sin. There's no way to redeem them. There's no way to find a godly purpose in pursuing them. They are just bales. We have to be done with them. We have to be done with them. But sometimes the things that compete for our heart, compete for our devotion, desire to be sought by us, are a little more subtle. Let's look at Asa. This was the king that... Ted preached about last week. And let's go to the previous chapter, 2 Chronicles chapter 16. 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 7. And you know, one of the other things that I noticed just as you're turning there, it's only the chapter before, but Chronicles has an incredible account of all of these named prophets who just show up. And I got to admit, most of them I was completely forgetful of and, and, and not remember them. They just show up and they're named and identified, and then they speak the word of the Lord. And then they're never heard from again, at least on the pages of Chronicles. But I was noticing that in the chapters that we were reading together last week. So here in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 7, we have another one of these identified prophets. It says, at that time, Hanani, the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, because you relied on the king of Aram and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hand. So what is being summarized here was an incursion by the king of Israel, the northern kingdom, bringing war to Judah. And what was so incredible is that Previously, Asa had wholeheartedly sought and trusted and leaned on the Lord. 
And the Lord delivered the nation of Judah from an incredible foe. But in this case, somewhat puzzling to us initially, as the northern kingdoms brings war to the southern kingdom, Asa did not seek the Lord. He sought an alliance with the king of Aram. Now here's the challenging thing. That doesn't necessarily seem evil. If you have an enemy that's coming against you, and the enemy is greater than you, making an alliance doesn't seem like a wicked thing. Even more challenging, the alliance actually worked. The king of Aram started to take some of the northern towns of the king of Israel. And when the king of Israel, Baasha, heard about that, he stopped attacking Judah. And he went back to take care of the problems that he was having on his northern border. So here's another thing that makes this a little challenging is the alliance that King Asa sought worked. He had an enemy coming against him. He paid the king of Aram to help him. The king of Aram helped him and the king of Israel retreated. So why does this prophet Hanani say that this was wrong? Because he didn't do it with the counsel and the leading of the Lord. So there are some things that in and of themselves are not necessarily evil or wrong. There's a lot of things that are not explicitly the Baals. There are some things that in and of themselves are not necessarily wrong. But if we are pursuing them and seeking them in the place of seeking the Lord, then they become wrong. Even a more challenging example from the life of Asa, a couple verses later. Second Chronicles chapter 16, let's read verse 12. Close to the end of his life, Asa gets a horrific disease of the feet, and it actually is what ended up killing him. In verse 12, it says, In the 39th year of his reign, Asa was afflicted with a disease in his feet. And though his disease was severe, even in his illness, he did not seek help from the Lord, but only from the doctors. Now, how many of you have ever thought that going to the doctor when you're sick is the wrong choice to make? So you can see how some of the things that compete for our devotion, some of the things that compete for our heart are actually not just neutral things like making an alliance because your country's about to be overrun, but actually seem like good things like going to a doctor when you're sick. So what is it that the Lord wants us to understand from this? It's that even a good thing if we allow it to take the place of the Lord in our life, in our heart, in our faith, in our trust, then even that can become the wrong thing. You see, I don't think the lesson that God wants us to learn from the sickness that Asa had at the end of his life is that if you get sick, don't go see a doctor. I don't, I don't believe that's what the Lord wants us to understand from that at all. 
But I think what is a better way of understanding this is that if you get sick and you go to a doctor, trust the Lord. That the Lord is going to heal you through the doctor or the nurses or whoever it is that you see. You see, nothing can replace the absolute centrality, primacy of seeking the Lord. Nothing can replace that. And unfortunately, what is so easy for us to do is to pursue things that are neutral or to pursue things that are good. And if we are not careful, start to put our trust in them. Start to put our reliance on them. Start to depend on them. You know, there are a lot of our sisters and brothers around the globe that do not even have close the access to excellent medical treatment that we do. Countless of our sisters and brothers get sick with diseases that can and often do kill them, and they have no access to doctors and nurses and hospitals and vaccines and medicine. And our sisters and brothers are absolutely challenged to do what the scriptures teach us, to trust the Lord. They have no choice. They can't go to a top medical facility and get evaluated and get treated. They trust the Lord. So this is a challenge particularly for us because when we get sick, we can. We can go see Elizabeth or Jefferson. We can go see, you know, Patty before she retired or Gail before she retired. We can go see incredibly qualified medical professionals who understand how our bodies work and understand treatments and medicines that actually help to heal us. But here's the challenge for us. Will we trust that or will we trust the Lord? Will we trust that or will we trust the Lord? See, what we seek, what we give our heart to, what we give our attention to, what we give our devotion to, if we let anything replace the first and foundational place of the Lord in our heart, it's become something that we are seeking instead of him. And the Lord is convicting us of that. I mean, there's so many things that the Lord wants you to give your devotion and energy to. Your job, your schooling, your neighborhood. You know, there's so many things. But what he wants in the midst of that is to be the center of it, not to be marginalized. It wasn't sinful for Asa to go to the doctors. What was sinful for Asa was to go to the doctors and not seek the Lord. Not trust the Lord. And the doctors couldn't help him. And he eventually died. And so there's nothing wrong with going to the doctors. There's so many good things that the Lord would actually encourage us to pursue as long as we don't let them replace him in our heart, in terms of our devotion, in terms of what we seek. And so these are the ones that are much harder. The bales are relatively easy to identify. The sinful things that we pursue the sinful desires that we have, the sinful things that we give our devotion to, those are relatively easy to identify. 
Making an alliance with another army because the army that's coming against you is about to overrun you. Pursuing a doctor when you're sick. Those are a little tougher to determine. Are we seeking those in the place of the Lord? Are we putting our trust in something other than the Lord? In our strength, in our wisdom, in our ability, or someone else's strength and someone else's ability. You know, I feel like COVID, among the many, many things that the Lord was giving us opportunity to learn, was to learn to trust Him. When a pandemic wrecks the globe, what do we trust? I mean, I'm, I'm grateful for the vaccination. You don't have to take it. I'm not making a political statement here, but I'm grateful for it. But I hope my trust is not in a vaccine. I hope my trust is not in the American medical community. I certainly hope my trust is not in the American political community. I certainly hope my trust is not in the American military. You know, as I see Korea doing all sorts of things, and as I see the media trying to petrify me with what Korea is doing, is my trust in our missiles? Is our tr my trust in our anti-missile defense system? Or is my trust in Jesus Christ? You know, when I look at the news, do I get petrified and terrified and want to curl up into a ball? Or do I trust the Lord? You know, and over the years, I think in particular, the Lord has given us an opportunity to put our trust in Him. You know, 9-11, it almost seems like ancient history. You know, that was an opportunity for us to remember, you know, the American military is not going to save us. It's not. It can't. It won't. Are you trusting the American military? Are you trusting the American political machine? Are you trusting medicine over against the Lord? These are all challenges that Chronicles gives us. And these were relatively good kings. Asa and Jehoshaphat in particular were relatively good kings, were relatively righteous kings. On numerous occasions, Asa did seek the Lord. On numerous occasions, he did give his heart to the Lord. But he also stumbled. That's why he's given to us as an example. Well, another question that came to mind is, why do we seek the Lord? You know, hopefully, at least to some level, all of us are seeking the Lord. Maybe not as much as we should be, maybe not as much as we want to be. And if that's the case, hopefully today's sermon is a, a strong encouragement to seek the Lord more intently, more intentionally, more intensively. You know, a week and a half ago, Lent began, and we strongly encouraged each of you as part of this community to consider fasting during Lent, to be a bit more devoted to prayer during Lent. Hopefully, all of you, or at least many of you, are taking advantage of that. This, this part of our church calendar, where we set aside some things that are not evil. Food is not evil. Or whatever else you have decided to fast. I mean, I remember years ago, someone said that they were going to fast something that was sinful. I said, uh, no, that's not really fasting. That's just the Christian life. Putting down sin is just the Christian life. I mean, I forget what they were going to... They were going to like fast bad language or something like that. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's great. I mean, I'm glad you're not going to use bad language. But that's not really fasting. Fasting is giving up something that's, that's fine. Food is good. Food is great. I mean, God created it and it tastes delicious. And for most of us, eating is an incredibly, you know, joyful, satisfying thing. So fasting is not giving up something that's sinful. Fasting is giving up something that's fine. But to have a more intense 
tense, more concerted, more devoted time with the Lord. So maybe as you're hearing this message today, the Lord is sort of putting something in your heart that you need to be a bit more intentional about seeking him. Remember, seeking the Lord is not like falling off a bike. It's not like rolling out of bed. Rehoboam was evil because he did not determine in his heart to seek the Lord. You know, there are so many things that distract us. There's so many things that compete for our attention. You know, sometimes we simply don't seek the Lord because we just are too consumed with other things. We're just too distracted by all of the incredible forms of, of entertainment that are available to us. Sometimes we don't seek the Lord because we're discouraged. You know, the enemy loves that. The enemy loves that. Let me discourage this brother or sister and then let me keep them from seeking the Lord because they are discouraged. One of the enemy's most powerful attacks against us. Sometimes we're just so discouraged. Sometimes we're just like not sure what the value of it is. Sometimes we're bored. Sometimes, you know, we try to sit five minutes in the presence of the Lord and all we can think about is something else. You know, the, the, the enemy loves to make seeking the Lord something that we see as boring or dry or dull. Maybe you're reading Second Chronicles and you're like, oh man, this isn't as much fun as my, you know, Netflix show or my Instagram account or my, you know, TikTok that I want to put together. You know, the enemy loves that as well. But isn't that absolutely why the Lord said, determine in your heart. Not because it's going to be easy. Not because it's going to be the most entertaining. But because it's what honors the Lord. You know, every day I can find a thousand things to do and not seek the Lord. And the crazy thing is, most of you would never know that. What did I do last week? Did I seek the Lord last week? Most of you have no idea. I mean, talk about crazy. Most of you have no idea whether I sought the Lord last week. Now, maybe my wife does. Maybe my daughters do because they live with me, Miriam's home on spring break. But, you know, I have to determine in my heart whether I'm going to seek the Lord or not. Don't think that just because I'm an elder and, you know, one of the, one of the elders here or a pastor that, I seek the Lord. I mean, I better be. But this is something that the Lord puts in front of all of us to determine in our hearts to seek him. And we can all say, Lord, I'm too distracted. Lord, I'm too busy. Lord, I'm too discouraged. Lord, it just seems a little dry. Lord, I've got something so much more fun to do, something so much more interesting. That is for all of us. But why do we seek the Lord? Well, again, time's racing away here. Um, Let's just look at one example because there's something that sort of repeats itself in the Bible, repeats itself in 2 Chronicles, which is the people of God get into a really bad way and then they seek the Lord, which again, there's nothing wrong with that. If you are in crisis, if you are in trouble, the best thing that you can do is seek the Lord. So let's look back at the reign of Abijah. 2 Chronicles chapter 13, verse 14. 2 Chronicles chapter 13, verse 14. Abijah was the son of Rehoboam. And 
Second Chronicles chapter 13, verse 14. It says, Judah turned and saw that they were being attacked at both the front and the rear. Now, a lot of times, that's how we feel. We feel like we're not only being attacked from the front, but we're being attacked from behind. War is all around us. Ted was preaching about war and peace last week. War is all around us. The enemy is all around us. A lot of times we feel just like Judah. We have an enemy in front of us that's totally discouraging us, but then we turn around and we've got an enemy behind us as well. Well, the people of God were in that same position. But what did they do? What did Abijah do? Then they cried out to the Lord. They sought the Lord. Now, I want to just say there is absolutely nothing wrong and everything right with seeking the Lord in the midst of crisis. That should always be the first thing that we do in a crisis. Before we go to the doctor, before we make an alliance, before we try to figure out a plan, a strategy, a response, a reasonable course of action. And again, God is not opposed to those things, unless, of course, they replace him. The first thing that we should always do in a crisis is seek the Lord. They were in a crisis. They cried out to the Lord. And of course, we know what happened. The Lord delivered them. The Lord delivered them. So there is absolutely nothing wrong and everything right with seeking the Lord in the midst of crisis. But if that's the only time we seek the Lord, then that's a problem. Then that's a problem. And for many of us, as we look at our Christian life, we see that pattern a bit too dominant. When things are really pressing in on us, we seek the Lord intensely. We cry out to the Lord. We trust in him. We depend on him. But then in those glorious seasons of our lives where there's relative peace, where things are going well, we find our intensity in seeking the Lord kind of diminishes. Well, it shouldn't be that way. You know, King Asa did something that was incredible. In 2 Chronicles chapter 15, verse 12. 2 Chronicles chapter 15, verse 12. Look at what King Asa did when he was king of Judah. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12. It says, they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with all their hearts and all their soul. Look at the next verse. I almost wasn't going to read this. All who would not seek the Lord, the God of Israel, were put to death. Whether small or great, whether man or woman. You know, verse 13 is one of those verses that it's easy not to read. Do you think, you think the Lord is pretty serious about us seeking him? Do you think this is something that we can just kind of treat casually? Give him the last five minutes of our day just before we fall asleep. Squeeze him in if we have time. Do you, do you think that's the message of Second Chronicles? You know, seek the Lord if it's convenient. Seek the Lord if you feel like it. Seek the Lord if you're done binge watching whatever you were binge watching. Seek the Lord because you're in a massive crisis. Do you think, you think that what the Lord is saying? I mean, 
Covenant, we don't have time to talk about covenant. Covenant was the most binding agreement that you could enter into in the ancient world. It's what God entered into with his people, the nation of Israel. So they made a covenant to seek the Lord. They made a covenant as a nation, as the people of God. They made a binding agreement to seek the Lord. And anyone who rejected that, they were killed. They were put to death. Now, I'm not advocating the Crusades. I mean, obviously, that's a total misunderstanding of this principle. But they were serious about seeking the Lord. Am I? Are we? Now, you know, when we read a passage like that, we certainly feel the weight of the seriousness of seeking the Lord. If we as the people of God are not seeking the Lord, we're done. We're done. And if you individually are not seeking the Lord, at some point, you are going to be done. Because this is absolutely so central to what it means to be a follower of God. This is so central to what it means to be part of his people. I mean, you can't read verse 12 and 13 of 2 Chronicles 16 and understand it any different. Or again, back to that initial verse that just wrecked me. Rehoboam was evil because he did not determine in his heart to seek the Lord. So we want to absolutely grasp the, the seriousness of this, the weight of this, the importance of this. We can't undersell it. We can't. Seeking the Lord is the reason why we're breathing his air. Seeking the Lord is why we're living on his planet. Seeking the Lord is why we're eating his food and wearing his clothes. This is why we were created to seek him. It's what we were created to do. But you know, oftentimes, again, what happens is we see how serious this is and how sobering this is. Then all of a sudden, we start to do it out of guilt. We start to do it out of fear that, you know, I'm going to get hit by a septa bus if I don't have my quiet time today. You know, all of a sudden, this, this incredibly good, serious, important component of seeking the Lord that the, the Lord wants us to resonate with gets twisted and morphed into to guilt and fear. And that's not the heart of the Lord. I mean, it absolutely is a no-brainer default expectation that as the people of God, we will determine in our hearts to seek him. But if your motivation is guilt, it won't work. If your motivation is fear, it won't work. You see, because seeking the Lord absolutely is a commandment is a step of obedience, is an expectation, is important enough that under the old covenant, if you didn't do it, you would be executed. But you see, there's a whole other component to it. And let me just say this, that if you are struggling with seeking the Lord, if you have been hearing this message and you're saying, wow, it's really hard for me to just spend time with the Lord, I get really distracted, or it's just hard for me to sit down and do it, you know, one of the problems oftentimes is because we are forgetting how good he is. You see, absolutely seeking the Lord is a commandment. Seeking the Lord is a covenant 
is a, is, a, is a component of that binding covenant relationship. But you know, I love the words of Jesus when he says, if you feel guilty, you will obey me. If you are afraid I'm going to run you over with the septa bus, you will obey me. No, what did he say? If you love me, if you love me, you will obey me. Why do we seek the Lord? Because he's so good. We seek him because he is so good. And we love him. It's not a chore. It's not a burden. It's not something that we try to get through so that we can do what we really want. If that's the way we're approaching it, then we've forgotten how good God is. If that's why we're seeking the Lord, then we've forgotten the character of our God. We seek him because he's good. We seek him because he loves us and we love him. What happened in Asbury a couple weeks ago? A handful of Asbury students just got overwhelmed with the love of God. And they didn't want to leave his presence. The love of God became real to them in a way that it hadn't been a few days before. They became so gripped by the simple truth that God loves them. And that they were called to love a dying world. And they couldn't leave the presence of God. You know, when revival comes, it's usually not some new truth that we never knew before is revealed. It's usually not some great theological insight is given that we hadn't seen before. When revival hits, oftentimes what happens is the truths that we've been soaking in for decades just become more real. And all of a sudden, we are reminded and convinced that the only reasonable response is to seek the Lord. You know, when you are totally overwhelmed with the goodness of God, when you are totally overwhelmed with the love of God, when you are totally overwhelmed with the compassion of God, nobody has to ask you to seek him. Nobody has to force you to seek him. You just do it because it's the only thing that is a reasonable response to how good God is. And so I wouldn't challenge many of us that if you're struggling to seek the Lord, maybe what you really need to do is just let the Lord remind you of how incredibly good he is. Let the Lord remind you of how much he loves you. Let the Lord remind you of his incredible compassion and mercy to you. And as you let the Lord pour these things into you, seeking him will not be a burden or a chore or an empty routine or a response to guilt or a response to fear. It will simply be, Lord, I love you so much. What else can I do but seek you? What else can I do but spend time in your presence? That's where the Lord wants us. That's where the Lord wants us. And he makes it possible. This isn't just biblical theory that would be great. This is actually possible. It is possible for us as the people of God to be so overwhelmed with the goodness and the love of God that we just want to seek him. 
We just want to spend time in his presence. We just want to read his word and pray and listen to worship music. It just is all of a sudden, it's, 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 it's what we know we were created to do. It's not a struggle. It's not a fight. Yes, we do have to determine in our hearts to do it because there's constantly temptation out there. But all of a sudden, that determination is reinforced by the revelation of God and we just are walking in it. We just are walking in it. That's what's possible. You know, one of the most incredible declarations in Second Chronicles about seeking the Lord, again, comes from the reign of Asa. Second Chronicles chapter 15, let's read the first couple of verses. Again, another named prophet that, as far as I know, we've never heard of before. The Spirit of God came upon Azariah, son of Oded. He went out to meet Asa and said to him, Listen to me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time, Israel was without the true God, without a priest to teach, and without the law. But in their distress, they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and they sought him. And he was found by them. God wants to be found. Look at his heart. He wants you to find him. And if you seek him, you will find him. And there's nothing better. That's the thing. When you find the Lord, you realize there is nothing on this planet better than finding him. Your career, your reputation, your vacation, your entertainment, the block you live on, the car you drive, whatever. It's like rubbish, as Paul says. It's like rubbish compared to the greatness of finding God. There's nothing like it. And here's the most incredible declaration about seeking the Lord in these chapters of Chronicles. If we seek him, we will find him. We will find him. We will discover him in new ways, in greater ways. We will be reminded of his character. We will be reminded of his love. If we seek him, we will find him. That's the promise he makes. What, what is better than finding the Lord? Last passage we're going to read. I'm going to end with this. Back to the reign of Jehoshaphat. Second Chronicles chapter 19. You know, in Second Chronicles, I think it's chapter 18, Jehoshaphat made a really stupid decision. He allied himself with a godless king, King Ahab, made a really boneheaded, not just a dumb decision, it was a sinful decision. Again, another prophet. Second Chronicles chapter 19. It says, When Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, returned safely to his palace in Jerusalem, Jehu the seer, this is now the third named prophet that just shows up and preaches the word of God. The son of Hanani went out to meet him and said to the king, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Because of this, uh, the wrath of the Lord is upon you. 
I mean, that's, that's a pretty devastating statement to hear from the prophet of God. Not only were you stupid, but you were sinful. I mean, and I read that and I'm like, wow, like, you know, God, what do you mean? I'm not sure what you mean here. You just say exactly what you mean. That's a joke, of course. I mean, you were evil and you were stupid in making the decision you made. Well, we probably think, well, it's all done for Jehoshaphat. You know, he, he, he's, he's finished. But then look at verse 3. There is, however, some good in you. For you have rid the land of the Asherah poles. And you have determined in your heart to seek God. You know, not one of us can stand here and say, I've lived the perfect Christian life. Not one of us can stand here and say, I haven't done things as wicked as, and stupid as Jehoshaphat or even more wicked and more stupid than Jehoshaphat. And again, the enemy would want to use that to say, well, what's the point in seeking the Lord? You've gone too far. You've gone too far. Nobody else knows what you thought. Nobody else knows what you said. Nobody else knows what you did. But I do. What's the point? What's the point? Well, look at Jehoshaphat. In one breath, the prophet says you were stupid and wicked. And in the next breath, the prophet says, but you determined in your heart to seek God. Don't let anything that you've done, don't let any of your failures, any of your sins, any of your shortcomings, any of your boneheaded decisions, don't let any of those become excuses for not seeking the Lord. We are all as guilty and more so than King Jehoshaphat. And yet, in spite of that, he determined in his heart to seek the Lord. May the Lord overwhelm us with his goodness. May the Lord overwhelm us with his kindness and his compassion and his grace. And as we are just absolutely enraptured in the goodness and the character of God, may that inspire in us a determination to seek him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you so much for giving us this time together to look at a couple of verses from 2 Chronicles. And Lord, I just, I thank you because this isn't just dry history. This isn't just secular history and this king did that and then he died and this king did that and then he died and that king did that and then he died. Lord, it, it is your recounting of history to us. And it is alive, it is living, it is active, it is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it is able to cut to the very core of our being. It is your history interpreted by you perfectly for us. And Father, we thank you. We thank you for the privilege of being able to seek you. For the blessing of being able to seek you. Of course, it's an obligation. Of course, it's an act of obedience. Of course, we have to each day determine in our hearts to do it. But it isn't just that. It's so much more. It's so much more. And Father, I pray that you would be stirring in each one of us through the word that we have read, through your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would be stirring in each one of us a greater desire to seek you. Not because we have to, though we do, but because we want to, because we have been so overwhelmed by your character, 
by your goodness, by your love. May you continue to draw us to yourself. And may we continue to determine in our hearts to seek you. And we pray all of this, Jesus, in your name alone. Amen. Amen.